0: The following podcast is brought to you by The Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Well, I was met this morning by uh, Joshin Roshi, who said, "Happy, um, happy holiday. And I had mixed feelings because today is Juneteenth, or African American Emancipation Day, or if you're from the South, it's called Emancipation Day. And there's been a lot of stuff in the media about, uh, about, about this day. And I figured it was important to do a little bit of background history about it. And I will make it very briefly. January 1st, 1863, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. The document that you would say in our history we're proud of because it put an end to slavery, excuse me. But the details are uh, not everyone was free. Those who were free were African-Americans who escaped from the South, made it into the Union states. And if you were served in the armed forces, you were free. Also, you didn't have the right to vote. So you were free but you didn't have the right to vote. Those who weren't free were those who were enslaved and enslaved in the Union States. Liberation came later with the 13th and 14th Amendment. 3.5 million African-Americans were enslaved in the the Confederate States. Emancipation came slowly. It wasn't until June 19th, 1865, two and a half years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, that the Union Army under the command of Major General Gordon Granger led a, a force of Union soldiers to Galveston, Texas with the following message. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And the connection hence to for existing between them becomes the, becomes the, the employer and hired labor. The interesting thing about it is, is that people in the Confederacy knew that, about the Emancipation Proclamation, but they refused to tell their slaves. Why should they give up free labor? Why should they give up free labor? Some of the uh, masters, plantation masters, eventually let their people go after the fall harvest. We were talking earlier again about the uh, illustration on New York Magazine about the cartoon uh, of the uh, African-American family all dressed up. In those days, emancipation, slaves didn't have uh, clothes. So they would go and get their master's clothes and then put it on. So the original origins of the day was all about getting dressed up, about getting dressed up because you had nothing to wear. As I said, it wasn't until the 13th and 14th amendments, which is about Figure 1865. So, three years later, that's when all slaves were free and they had the right to vote. So, let's put it within a context. On a broader definition, it, the uh, celebration began to uh, manifest itself further north and to the west. Minnesota, and uh, Minneapolis rather, in Milwaukee uh, hosted big celebrations, dressing up, barbecues, uh, rodeos, and all those kinds of things. A woman by the name of Opal Lee, at the age of 89, started to campaign about making Emancipation Day a federal holiday. And she would walk 2.5 miles starting in September of, 2017, she left Fort Worth, Texas and arrived in Washington, DC on, in, in September of 2016, uh, 2018, 2017, I'm sorry, I've got my notes here, 20, January, 2017, where she had collected 1.6 million signatures to uh, make this a federal holiday. The holiday became official a year ago in light of George Floyd's murder, which we all witnessed on TV. But enough of the history. How does it, this pertain to us as practitioners? Well, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about our four vows, the vows that we, say, chant, at the end of, the, uh, of a talk or a, a retreat or ango. The four vows as I see them are not a goal to be attained, but they're a process. We're all bodhisattvas, believe it or not. And so I see the, vo- the vows as a way of being fairy women and fairy men carrying all beings to liberation to help us see that we're not separate, but we're all connected. So I'd like to go a little bit through all of these four vows with you this morning and just kind of give you my PLV, my point of view on them. First one, sentient beings are numberless. I, we vow to save them. Well, it's beings, right? We're here to save all beings, not a being. All beings. And that means that it, those beings extend to all of the everything that's around us the sky above us, the earth beneath us. We're all connected. And how is that done? Well, I. Th- There's a koan, I think it's koan 32, about a non-Buddhist questions the Buddha. And it goes that a non-Buddhist comes to the Buddha and says, I want to be enlightened. And so the Buddhist just sits and is quiet. And then all of a sudden he becomes enlightened, he bows and goes away. Ananda, his assistant says, well, that's amazing. You didn't do anything, how's it that happened? And the Buddha says something to the effect of a good horse runs even at the shadow of a whip. He goes on to say that there are all types of people, just like there are all types of horses. And liberation comes slowly. We have to realize you're suffering before you can be liberated. And the way I see it is that Well, we're all horses. In the same place, we have a choice either to run or to roam. We have a right to also eat grass and maybe have a carrot as a treat, but we're all horses. And maybe our function is just to use our tails to wipe the flies out of our eyes. Desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them, or another way to see it is I vow to transform them. And in the pre-COVID days, whenever we would chant these vows, one of our students would uh, was death, and he'd show us how to sign the four vows. And this was a, most, most I would think most of one of the more graphic ones uh, when we would chant the. Uh, this particular vow, which says desires are inexhaustible, and you just kind of grab your chest and you make this face, inexhaustible. You know, just the sense of this grabbing, you know, you know holding on to this painful experience. And I, I don't, I believe desires are good because they can tell us a lot about ourselves. I don't think we can do away with them. But Hongo in his talk on Thursday can refer to things that keep us away from being present and desires are like that, right? I serve on the board of uh, Zen Peacemakers, Peacemakers International. And most recently we did a bearing witness retreat down in Alabama. We went to three cities, Birmingham, Selma, and Montgomery particularly around the the, uh, 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 racism and but also focusing on the efforts that were made once upon a time and still do about the right to vote amongst African-Americans We were 32 strong. So there were 32 opinions about what to do about racism. What to do about racism and For those of you who are not familiar with the uh, Zen Peacemakers, it's about three tenets, not knowing, giving up fixed ideas, bearing witness, being open to the joys and sorrows of the world. And then the third one has gone through so many changes from uh, healing action to taking action to to the offering. I prefer the last one, the offering, because it's out of not knowing and bearing witness that the offering emerges. As I said, 32 strong, 32 opinions about what racism is about. And you can imagine what council was like at the end of the day when we spoke from the heart. So many desires to go out and do something and just instead of sitting with the discomfort of what people would have to have to live with and to experience when people of color had the right to vote. There was a test that was given, 60 tests, 60 questions rather, 20 minutes, which you had to answer. A person of color had to answer. And 20 minutes. And if you got all of those questions, 60 questions correct, and I saw the test and and I I think I'm intelligent, I couldn't answer those questions. And in front, after you got all those questions right, there was a jar of jelly beans. And you had to guess the number of of jelly beans in the jar. And if you guessed the right amount, the next and final test was a bar of soap. And you had to guess the number of suds the bar of soap produced. If you were white, you didn't have to take the test. If you were black, you had to take the test. And, and There are people who did pass, who lost their property, or who even lost their lives for the right to vote. The dharmas are boundless. I vow to master them. Uh, one of our sister sanghas has the, uh, another, another one that I've shared with you before. The Dharma gates are everywhere. I vow to enter them. When I hear master, other than the image of a white man hovering over people of color, I also think about power and control. <clears throat> Images of, and we use it in our, in our, in our, in our study texts, you know, someone who knows all the sutras, who can memorize all the sutras, and I was kind of inflicted with that image myself when I came in, into Zen. You know, having to remember all the sutras and to be, you know, very Zen-like. You know, like Teflon, everything would slide off. But I don't see it that way. I've shared one morning uh, with you in morning uh, talks about a story about Steve Stuckey, who was the former Avid of Zen uh, San Francisco, Center in San Francisco. And he was very sick with pancreatic cancer. And one of his last talks was on gratitude. And I'd like to share a little bit of that, uh, that talk with you. He says, he says, when I get up in the morning and before my feet, Hit the floor. I put my hands in Gasha and I say in gratitude. And then I pause and say, For what? And then whatever comes up, that, that I am grat- I'm grateful for. And he goes on to say, whatever comes up may not be the most pleasant thing. A number of us have gone through a, a of different Dharma gates to be here this morning. Maybe it's feeding uh, a child, maybe it's being with a sick parent or partner, maybe even just having a cup of coffee. But the, the gates are everywhere. The gates are everywhere. Mass incarceration, voter suppression, Capital, capital punishment, critical race theory, what books to keep in our schools, gun control. Do we vow to enter them or do we vow to just kind of stand on the threshold and look within? The final verse. The Buddha way is unattainable. I vow to attain it. Maybe another way to say instead of trying to attain the Buddha way is to practice it. Juneteenth has become a reality. Those of you who are white cannot disavow yourself from this reality. Slavery has not entered, has not ended, excuse me. I'll say it again. Slavery has not ended. It's just manifested itself in other forms. If we take these vows seriously, it is work, ongoing work, to see that we're all invited and all beings are invited to be liberated and to enjoy the joys and responsibilities that come with being free. Juneteenth, a day to pause and reflect and perhaps challenge ourselves that for those of us who practice the Buddha way, not to keep it a secret that all beings are liberated. I'd like to end with a poem by a young man from San Francisco. His name is Rudy Francisco. And it reads like this. The things that we at Berry can tell you a lot about who we are. The difference between a garden and a graveyard is only what, is, is only what we choose to put in the soil.